Uh, in our prayer meeting this week, uh, uh, I was praying, as, as I often do, just around what God's doing. And it's often a time I hear with real clarity the voice of God in that beautiful place of prayer. I'd love to see you tonight at the prayer meeting. And uh, and one of, and this little um, little excerpt from a video I saw started bouncing around in my head, and I felt the Lord just begin to speak to me. But I want to play it now. Nerd alert! This is you know, I don't know what videos you have bouncing around in your head, but I had uh, this interview with N.T. Wright, arguably the the most influential New Testament scholar alive today. Uh, that's the sort of stuff I like to think about. I had this video popping, this little uh, commentary that he gave. I'm going to play it now. Have a look. There's a couple minutes, but it's I think it's really insightful, and I think the spirit is on it so have a quick listen to this if paul could see today's church worldwide england or anywhere else true he would not only be astonished by our disunity he would be horrified that we don't care he would not only be astonished by our lackadaisical attitude to holiness but he would be horrified that mostly we don't care unity and holiness are for him the great thing and as I've said many times, yes. unity is easy if you don't care about holiness. Holiness is easy if you don't care about unity. The trick is somehow to hold them together. And Paul spent his life trying to do that. He'd say, well, hang on, you're all one in Messiah Jesus. How is the world going to believe that new creation has been launched if you're making these things which are often just reflections of our socio-cultural differences? If you're making these things the separating issues, and, and, and then the holiness issues as well. Um, you know, the, the church has a responsibility to live as the renewed human beings, yes. which is tough. Yes, it to means, be pure, it, but to it be gatharos. Exactly, yes. exactly. Clean. Uh, exactly. But then that only happens through the cross and resurrection and spirit. And we need to go back again and again to those foundational realities and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, because we can none of us hold ourselves up and say, be pure just like I am. Oh, my goodness, no. You know, all Christian life starts with the message of forgiveness. So unity and holiness, I think that's a really fair um, view on what Paul would probably want to challenge the church about today in the West. And I spoke to Unity a bit last week and I was really encouraged to hear a lot of people really resonated with that and are hungry to learn what it looks like to really walk that out a whole lot more and let's continue that conversation. But holiness, oh no, I mean I'm sitting in the prayer meeting like, oh no, not holiness. Uh, like God, I can't speak to holiness. I battle enough with like hypocrisy. Like There's no way I can speak to holiness. And, uh, and I felt the Lord say like, you're right. Um, you can't speak to holiness with integrity. No one can speak to holiness with integrity but Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can speak to holiness with any integrity. Uh, and so I just felt this thing of just being released from actually having to feel like I've got this all worked out. I so don't. Um, but I know the one who uh, who can speak to us. I, I want to point to Jesus this morning. But beautifully, he's not only the one that speaks to holiness. He's the one that causes us to be holy. He's the one through which we can be holy. Uh, and so uh, this morning, this message, and, and as I preach this morning, I'm acutely aware of my own hypocrisy. And so this is just the, the sermon and, and the pastor this morning, uh, simply like that young man uh, uh, who had his head in the trough and had been up to all sorts of mischief. 
who just started wandering home uh, with mixed motivations and saw his his father just running towards him. I'm just like, I'm just that son just pointing to Jesus going, look at him run towards us and look at him embrace us and look at us, look at him clothe us with his robe of righteousness and holiness. Uh, And so that's all I want to do this morning. So let's look at this whole topic of holiness. Our God is a holy God. What does that mean? I've been swimming in a few Bible dictionaries this week. Uh, trying to understand what that means. And there's a whole lot of beautiful descriptions around the holiness of God. For, for God to be holy means that he's utterly pure. Like, like it's so hard for us to, we, we will never understand full purity, but God is. God is utterly pure. The most clear water we've ever seen is completely tainted to compared to the purity of our God. He's utterly unblemished. And so uh, because of that, there's, there's this like this awe that that word holy and this uh, and holy within the Greek and the Greek uh, Hebrew and the Greek speak to uh, worthy of complete devotion. Awesome is a word that uh, is connected to to the nature of God and His holiness. Awesome is a word we throw around all the time. Well, this is an awesome burger. It's like no, God's awesome. He's truly awesome. He's the most pure and powerful, holy being. Uh, one word startling was used it's startling he's so holy there's a few moments in the scriptures where we get to see the nature of God and his holiness sort of revealed only a handful of times uh, and in Revelation there's a couple of moments and uh, but my favorite which I've spoken to a few times but I just can't help but keep coming back here is from Isaiah chapter 6 you've heard me if you've been in Bay Vineyard speak about this before but it's extraordinary let's read it uh, this morning Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 says Isaiah says in the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple above him was seraphim each with six wings with two wings they covered their faces with two they covered their feet and with two they were flying and they were calling to one another holy 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 is the lord almighty and the whole earth is full of his glory and at the sound of their voices the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hands, which he had taken from tongs with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Whom will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And so Isaiah has one of these rare glimpses of like the true level of God's glory and holiness. And what's he, what he sees are these angels called seraphim. These aren't cute, chubby, little Hallmark card angels. These are hardcore angelic beings. If they turned up in the room right now, we would be incinerated because of their own purity and holiness. Like absolutely insane. And so these are uh, these incredible beings are just bigger than anything you can imagine. Like any big, tall, huge skyscraper that you've been in awe of, these are bigger than that. They're louder than any concert that you've ever been to. If all the sound systems were in one spot turned up to 11, these guys are louder than that. And they are powerful, powerful beings. Like they are so 
powerful, like every explosive device and weapon of mass destruction and anything like that, all condensed into one spot, they would still be more powerful than that. And yet these angels with their six wings, with four of them, they simply have to cover their body because of the holiness of God. They just have to like shield themselves from the radiant holiness of God. And they just look to one another as they fly with their remaining two wings. And they're just saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with this glory and as they say that the, the, it says that the temples are shaking so poor Isaiah has just got this glimpse of the holiness of God and the glory of God and he's in awe of what he's seeing I pray our hearts will be filled with awe at the holiness of God that we wouldn't go through token religious songs of worship but that we would burn with the worship of the holy for a holy God and we would adore him like the angels adore him and that we'd pour out our praise not just in song but in a, in a life for him so Isaiah sees this and he's in awe but he's also convicted of his sin because as we get a glimpse of the holiness of God we begin to see our true state and, when, and the and the sewer in which we swim all around us and and so uh, he's like I'm just unclean and then the angel comes with this uh, coal and he's cleansed and then he's commissioned which we'll talk about in a second but that same God came and dwelt among us like that's why Philippians 2 is so extraordinary. He shared that glory and all of that. And he came in the form of a baby. We're going to celebrate that as we go into Advent this year once more. Uh, but God came into our midst in Jesus. And he then calls us uh, to, to live a holy life. He, he casts this vision for what humanity is called to be. That's so stunning. And that's found predominantly in, uh, in Matthew 5 onwards in the sermon, what's called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus goes like I mean you can't say that Jesus was light on sin like he just he raises the bar so high he's like you know you've heard say murder's not a go you know shouldn't do that he's like it's not just murder like it's anger like just anger in your heart just like you've got to get rid of that you think sleeping around or somehow adultery is like wrong it's like no it's like like lust of your eyes and again just a clean heart you know he's like don't retaliate no it's not just don't retaliate love those who and bless those who hurt you I turn the other cheek I mean this vision so intense and hardcore and it's like whoa and but Jesus isn't saying that you know to like give us a standard we can't reach he's actually calling us to our true humanity he's calling us to something not outside of our nature but something that's actually in our nature we're made in the image of this holy God and so when we come uh, and our lives align with that more and more we're actually coming home to who we're meant to be it calls us actually to a true humanity but not only that but but God's heart as a father as he calls us to a life of righteousness and holiness isn't to ruin our fun but it's a heart that wants to protect us from the awful consequences of living against the grain of how a human being should live and we see in our society all around us and if we're honest we've experienced this probably in our own lives the, uh, the the brutal consequences of choosing to live our own way so Jesus invites us by his spirit to learn the wisdom uh, of living a righteous life that's a blessing and uh, as, to others as a life of love and actually leads us to flourishing my uh, one of the most helpful commentaries on the Sermon on the Mount is called the Sermon on the Mount and human flourishing that's the heart of God Everything he calls us to is motivated by love and will lead us to life. Everything he calls us to. 
And so Jesus comes and, and, and gives this high standard, but then at the same time embraces the sinner and supremely dies on the cross to free us from the, uh, the bondage of sin and death in our lives, to set us free, to pour out his grace and his mercy upon our lives. Uh, and so as we move forward, it's, it's like we receive that gift of being justified and being made right with God. And then by his spirit, we learn to walk in wisdom because the blood of Jesus washes away our guilt and deals with our sin, but it doesn't take away our humanity or our memories or our histories or our associated associated vulnerabilities. Like we're still human. And so we, by empowered by the spirit, can learn to live a life that's a life of righteousness and holiness. In fact, Jesus says in, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, verse 20, for I tell you, unless the, your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, again, this makes sure we're really clear when he talks about the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about what happens when we die. He's talking about the rule and reign of God here in the present now. What does it look like for us to enter into the kingdom of heaven? It's for our righteousness to exceed that of the Pharisees. Now, that's not possible when it comes to actual behaviors because these guys got all the behaviors sorted out. But Jesus was saying you can have all the behaviors, but your heart can be distant and cannot be transformed. And what Jesus is saying on the Sermon on the Mount is it starts with the transformation of our hearts, of just letting him deal with all of that root stuff so then we don't wind up just being religious people but we wind up being whole people made in the image of God and so for example we read in uh, the uh, in the epistles after uh, as the early church begins to explore what it looks like to live in this uh, things like and there's lots of examples but here's one from uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13 onwards Peter says to the church he says therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you, have, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Now, I've mentioned this before, but the concepts of justification, sanctification, and glorification are key theological concepts to make sure we're crystal clear on. Because if we're not, we slide into religious thinking real quick. So firstly, before anything else is said and done, we accept that we've been justified. We've been made right with God through the sacrifice that he has made on the cross for us. That we no longer live, but Christ lives in me. We have been justified, Romans 5 verse 1, by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We received the gift of his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. In Colossians 1 verse 22, it says, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, listen, to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. We have been justified. So actually when it comes to pursuing holiness, the first thing we do is we accept that we've been made holy because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. And we just receive that as a free gift. But then we mature into this place of understanding that now we've been sanctified. What a sanctification has been, it's been transformed from glory to glory to become more fully alive, more, more human. Human, uh, to line up more with our identity in Christ. Uh, Galatians 5, to walk by the Spirit. Philippians 3.16, so now let us live up to what we've already attained. We've been declared holy, now let's learn to live and be holy. Uh, and so this is where we learn to embrace our identity and calling, calling and, for that, um, uh, and for that to become a reality in our lives and expressed in our lives. But that's not a work of just gritting our teeth. It's by the Spirit of God as He transforms us. And lastly, our hope is that we'll be glorified with Him. 
now, so important we get that because otherwise we are going to just strive and try and do things in our own strength. And we're going to have all sorts of religious behavior. And then out of religious behavior, often there's a pride that thinks that we are superior to some other person because we've got some external thing worked out while others may not. Or on the flip side of that, we, uh, without accepting deeply the, the work of Jesus on the cross, we try and earn, you know, be good enough. And then when we fall over and make mistakes, which we inevitably do, uh, we're crippled with shame and guilt and think that we're not good good enough. No, it begins with justification, with the forgiveness of God. And the, and the safety of that embrace leads us to the sanctification, leads us to the, 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 the growing holiness in our lives. So how do we work with God to, uh, to walk in greater holiness? Well, firstly, uh, can I just say up front, it's not by just gritting our teeth and trying to be a better person. There's nothing wrong with trying that, but I've tried and tried and tried to do it in my own strength and just I've fallen over and just been left feeling with shame and guilt and disappointment, the very things that God wants to free me from. And here's what I've discovered over the years as I've um, journeyed through some stuff, is that the way that I've walked, the way God's brought me into holiness is this, he's, he's loved me into holiness. God has loved me into holiness God's love is the thing that has transformed me to live a more holy life. We read this uh, in Titus uh, chapter 2, verse 11 onwards. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Again, that passage is soaked in brilliant theology. It's the grace of God that teaches us how to say no to ungodliness and all this other stuff. It's the grace of God. It's like his mercy and his grace and his love for us while we wait for the hope of glorification. But then in verse 14, as we celebrate the fact that it's Jesus who gave himself up for us and redeems himself and purifies us. Like all of that justification, sanctification, glorification, theology is all in those couple of verses. But but the thing that teaches us to say no is grace. It's grace. It's running to the God of grace at our worst moments and, and feeling his embrace. It's that love that heals us into holiness. And so our image of God is so important in this uh, in this sense. We, if we believe that, that we're bad and God's mad, then we're not going to go to God and we're going to struggle to walk into holiness. And we're going to be like, I don't want to you know do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And we're thinking about not doing it so much. We want much. We wind up doing it because it's all we're thinking about. But when we're thinking about God and we're allowing his love to permeate our being, even when we don't feel worthy, that's what transforms us from glory to glory. Cy Rogers said it like this, the truth of it is that you're not bad, you are human and vulnerable. And God is not mad, he is our great big redemptive advocate who has uniquely shared our human experience, tempted in every way, yet because he did not sin, he won the victory for us, and therefore he is the perfect mediator and advocate for us. That is so profound. We have this empathetic advocate who loves us and understands us and is 
for us. And so the best thing we can do is to hang out with Jesus, to hang out with the Holy God, to receive his embrace and to be cleansed in that. Dane C. Ortland explains it like this in his beautiful book, Gentle and Lonely. Lowly. Consider Jesus. In Levitical categories, he is the cleanest person to ever walk the face of the earth. He was the clean one. Whatever horrors cause us to cringe, we who are naturally unclean and fallen, would cause Jesus to cringe even more. We cannot fathom the sheer purity, holiness, cleanness of his mind and heart, the simplicity, the innocence, the loveliness. And what did he do when he saw the unclean? What was his first impulse when he came across prostitutes and lepers? He moved towards them. Pity flooded his heart, the longing of true compassion, and he spent time with them and he touched them. We can all testify to the humanness of touch. A warm hug does something warm words of greeting alone cannot. But there is something deeper in Christ's touch of compassion. He was reversing the Jewish system. When Jesus, the clean one, became touched an unclean sinner, Christ did not become unclean. The sinner became clean. As we run to Jesus with our brokenness and our mistakes and our mess and our ungodliness, he embraces us and somehow there's a healing that takes place in his presence and we're made clean. In Isaiah chapter 6, this is what happens. God's, uh, Isaiah isn't destroyed by this revelation of God's holiness. He's transformed by it. He's healed by it. Uh, another vision uh, that, that would express this is Ezekiel 47, where we see Ezekiel have a vision of the temple. Normally you had to be cleansed uh, and purified to go to the temple, but Ezekiel's vision is of God's holy purifying water coming out of the temple and out into the world, and it gets it gets wider and deeper and more beautiful, and, and, and touches, and everything it touches, it brings healing and restoration and, and, and makes things right and brings everything it touches to life. This is the great reversal of the Jewish system that Jesus came and says, now I'm the one that makes you clean. And he embraces us in our rags and in our mess. And in that we are healed and we're loved into holiness. So the Spirit of God will lead us into this if we just invite the Spirit of God to come. As we abide and remain in him, again, this is the weekly encouragement for your devotions. As we hang, you become who you hang out with. And if you hang out with the Holy God, even when you don't feel like you're worthy, you will in time become a holy person. Saturate your life in his presence, especially when you're in a messy spot. And let your sin propel you towards God, not away from him. And he will cleanse you and, and lead you into greater holiness as every year goes past. And, and church, let's not try and fix everyone else and try and make everyone else holy. Let's actually just be passionate about our own holiness. And then out of that, see what God does in the, in the place of others. Let's let the Spirit of God do what he needs to do in other people. And as he does that, we'll just see him transform us, particularly in the areas of, of our sexuality or of how we use our money or our power or our privilege or how uh, or where we turn to refuge when things are tricky. Like We will be transformed. We'll find a greater holiness as we allow God's Spirit to lead us into that place and as we journey with Him. And can I just say, let's not get religious on, on any... 
like everyone's journey is different on this. Again, like I said last week, we're building wells, not fences. We're just pointing to Jesus. And certainly there's issues of conscience where for some person to walk in freedom is to not engage with that ever. But for another person, the freedom they have in Christ is to engage with it. That issues of conscience, let's not make them issues of law. And let's allow the Spirit of God to transform us and for our holiness to be a witness to the world around us. But So what has this got to do with the missional life, the series that we're in? It's got everything to do with it. Firstly, uh, the Bible says that God no longer resides in a temple made of stone, but he resides in a temple of human flesh. Like we are now the temple of God. We are the, we are the stones, the living stones in which God's presence dwells. That for me alone convicts me of my sin. I'm like, I want this vessel to be a place where the holy presence of God can dwell. And it's a good fit that my life would be just a place where his holiness rests. And so uh, as we, as a church, uh, commit ourselves to a journey of holiness and we're not relaxed about it and we're not just laissez-faire, as, as, as N.T. Wright was saying, but we're actually committed to that journey, um, then there's this great witness to the world. Uh, and in fact, uh, Jesus says in uh, the Sermon on the Mount that we're called to be the salt of the earth. We're called to have this distinctive flavor, like we're, we are different. We have a high, high view of human sexuality. We are a community of forgiveness, of enemy love. We are nonviolent people. We're this, we are radically generous with money. Like We are this really distinctive, beautiful community uh, growing in sanctification. Uh, but also uh, in John 7, Jesus says uh, that whoever believes in me, as the scripture has says, rivers of living water will flow out of them. Jesus is saying as we get filled with the Holy Spirit, we actually become that temple where the, where the life and the goodness and the purity of God flows from us. And in our workplaces and in our schools and in our families is the sense of the healing, purifying, holy work of God cleansing all of the rubbish around us just as we radiate and carry the presence of God around us. Uh, in Isaiah's encounter with this holy God, not only does he get cleansed, but he gets commissioned to go into the world and to tell the world about this God of love who's healing and redeeming and restoring all things and the great hope that we have is the bible finishes in the book of revelation in the book of revelation we see once more the holiness of god and we see the river from ezekiel flowing out from god's presence and but this time it's immersing all of god's creation and removing all impurity and bringing everything back to life and that's the hope that we have. But until that day, we are the people journeying towards that greater sanctification. We are the people pursuing holiness, cheering each other on and uh, pursuing the holiness that, that God calls us to as we seek to follow him. And so, friends, as we finish, I, I, I want to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to minister to us this morning. And um, uh, that journey towards holiness looks different for everyone. So let's not worry about anyone else. Let's right now just allow God to speak to us about what it looks like for us to be intentional in that journey as we go forward from this uh, time together. So I want to actually just give us some time um, for the Holy Spirit to minister to us and to um, bring conviction of maybe one or two things that uh, that God just wants to gently call us to. Now, um, if uh, if we've got an um, a, a understanding of God's nature that's biblical, then the idea of God convicting us of sin will not fill us with fear or condemnation. It will actually fill us with a sense of safety and love and hope. Like the safest place we can be is in His loving arms as He seeks to call us and bring the best out of us.
us. So this isn't um, this isn't a condemnation thing, but the conviction of God will lead us to life and healing. So I just want to guide us through a bit of a prayer and just allow God to speak to us, or speak to me and speak to you just in this moment around what it looks like to respond to the word this morning. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you're in our midst and we just invite you to come and minister to us. We invite you to come and uh, and speak to us. And so, Holy Spirit, we just humble ourselves before you and in the safety of your beautiful presence of love, we invite you to convict us of sin in our life that you want to address. Father, we acknowledge that you're a God of love who everything you speak to us is motivated by the deepest love we could ever imagine and leads us to life. Holy Spirit, just come now. In any area of compromise in our lives or any area of sin in our lives that you want to address, would you just gently now, by your Spirit, speak to us about what that is? Let's just spend a couple of seconds just allowing the Spirit of God to speak to us. And there's no fear in perfect love. There's no fear. We just welcome your presence of God to come. Speak to us. Thank you, Lord. And now, Lord, we, uh, we lift whatever it may be to you. And firstly, we just ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, we invoke the power of the cross over this. And we just say, now, Lord, cleanse us. Pour out your, your spirit and, and, and your spirit of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And, just, and Lord, as far as the east is from the west, remove it from us. Lord, we, we ask for your forgiveness. And now we give it to you and let it go. Cleanse us now. We receive the free gift of your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness over our lives. Come, Lord Jesus. Cleanse us. Thank you, Lord. And we receive that this morning. We receive that. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. We just give it to you and receive your embrace. And we receive the gift of holiness and righteousness just bestowed upon us as a gift because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And so now, Lord, we just ask that we would just repent and, and now and turn away from it. Lord, love us into holiness. Just now let your love heal us and let your love um, bring wisdom and let your love speak to us about what it looks like to live differently in a way that more aligns with your way and your heart. We just allow you to speak to the deep places of our heart and let your love just lead us into that holiness we ask in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may want to just continue to minister to one another uh, as uh, as you gather this morning. If there's something that um, the Spirit's doing, just bless it. Let's again, we're the church together. Let's not, let's be bold. Let's uh, let's have a kingdom mindset as we minister to one another and, uh, and, and have that adventure with what God may be doing in our midst at this time. But God bless you heaps, guys. Uh, please stay deeply connected and, and in touch. And uh, we'll see you wherever we may be next week. Kaki